Alright, we are going to continue now in the chronological life of Jesus. And we read last week in John chapter 9, where Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. And so let me summarize that. This was the third of three messianic healings that were taking place. Uh, the first one that he did is he, he healed a, a man who was a leper, a Jewish man who was a leper. <clears throat> and the rabbis taught that only, only uh, uh, the Messiah would be able to heal a Jewish man who was a leper. And Jesus did that early on. And he told the man, go show yourself to the priest. Then Jesus healed a man, uh, delivered a man from demonic possession. The man uh, was, was uh, unable to speak. He was a mute and that was the second messianic miracle that the, the rabbis taught that only the Messiah would be able to do, to heal a man who was, uh, to deliver a man from a demon who was, uh, uh, who was also mute. And he did that. And the Jews rejected him after that, saying that only because he, he is ruler of the demons, he was able to pull that off. And as a result of that came the unpardonable sin, which we, wrote, which we read about. And so at that point, he only spoke in parables from that point on, would the scripture say. And then what happened is, is uh, uh, the unpardonable sin, <clears throat> as a result of that, he only healed people privately. Or, or, so he was never there at the public healing. He would always take them aside after that. Now this is the third <clears throat> of three Messianic miracles. And in this third one, Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And again, the healing was done on the Sabbath day, which was a violation of the Mishnaic or Talmudic law. So this, was, this is what Jews still read today. You can still read the Talmud today. <clears throat> and they, this was, large portions of it were already written and already recorded. There, was, there are some additions to it that occurred after the life of Jesus, but it was primarily done by that time, and you can go back and read it today, that healings were not allowed on the Sabbath day, but Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath day. And we read that Jesus did this healing by, by spitting on the ground, making mud out of the spittle and the dirt, and then applying it to the man's eyes and telling him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam was extremely crowded at this time of year because it was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, it was the furthest washing place that he could have sent him. It was all the way at the base of the city of David. The pool of Bethesda, for example, was much closer by. <clears throat> but he sent him there. That's where the crowds were. But Jesus was not going to heal in front of the crowds. But the man was there with the crowds when the healing took place. We read from the Talmud last week about how it said in the Talmud, you should not heal on the Sabbath. And if somebody is blind... Certainly do not either inject wine into their eyes during the healing or make mud out of spittle and dirt and apply it to his eyes and have the healing in that way. So Jesus shows his contempt and his disdain for the Talmud by healing in the very way that he was not supposed to heal. Healing both on the Sabbath day and doing exactly the way they said you shouldn't do it is exactly the way he did it. <clears throat> and... Jesus often came against them for, that, for the Talmud and the Mishnah because remember what they did is that after the Babylonian exile, they came back from Babylon and what had happened is they said, wow, we really blew it 
we want to make sure we don't violate any of the 613 commandments. So around each one of those 613, they wrote hundreds or thousands of human commandments that keep you from ever getting close to violating that commandment. And that was the basis behind their writing all of these rules. But Jesus actually repudiated that. He didn't care for those rules at all. He says what you've done is you've boxed people in far too much as a result of that. So, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up now, after the healing takes place, pick up where we left off last week. And he says, so, so um, in verse 7, this is John chapter 9, verse 7. John 9, verse 7. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and he washed and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Okay, so he goes down to the pool of Siloam. The people recognized him as the beggar. This man was now an adult. From the time that he was born, he was blind. Remember, a messianic miracle would be only the Messiah would be able to heal a man who had been born blind. A man could be blind and a healing could come, but that's not an indication of there being a Messiah. So this was, this was a, indeed a messianic miracle. And it says that people recognized him at the pool of Siloam. They said, isn't this the man that we've seen begging all these years? And he says, yeah, this is me. I'm the one. So this is in, in uh, John chapter 9, verse 9. He says, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? So the crowd here is saying to him, how did, you, how did you come to see? And he said, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So he went away and he washed and he received his sight. So he had never seen Jesus. He met Jesus. Jesus put this, this mud in his eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, if you, if you know people that are blind, they're very attuned to people's voices. They recognize their voices, and that's because the brain develops very strongly in this area to recognize sounds. So when it's unable to see, it will compensate by recognizing sounds far more accurately. So he heard the voice of Jesus, but he had never seen him. And Jesus had sent him, and he says, it, is, it was the man who was called Jesus. So he heard what other people were calling this man. And he recognized that this man is, is Jesus. He says, he anointed my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. He says, so I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. Remember, Jesus was not going to be there at the time of healing. Ever since the, uh, the, the, the unpardonable sin, Jesus did no more public healings. So now we get into the controversy uh, uh, over this man. 
So what, what the Pharisees now have to do is somehow they have to really analyze, was he born blind? If he was born blind, then this is indeed a messianic miracle. So they have to establish that. Was he really born blind? So in verse 13 of John chapter 9, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. Okay, so now he's before a council of Pharisees. This may well be the Sanhedrin, but it's certainly a council of Pharisees. But remember that Sanhedrin was composed of two-thirds Sadducees, one-third Pharisees. So it may have just been a group of Pharisees that he's brought before, but he's brought before some council of Pharisaic leaders. And they're asking him now about this incident. So they want him to explain to him, to explain to them what happened. So, uh, uh, and already they're probably a little bit upset about this because it's the Sabbath day. So it's the same day as the healing. This is not a day later or a week later. This is the same day as the healing. This is still the Sabbath day that, G- that he was healed. He's brought before this council of Pharisees. And also, as he's brought before this council of Pharisees, they're going to begin to question him to establish a messianic miracle. Then the Pharisees, in verse 15, the Pharisees were also asking him again how he received his sight, and he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. This is, again, exactly how Jesus was not supposed to do it. You don't heal on the Sabbath day, and you don't apply clay to the eyes and do the healing. That's what their laws of men, their Talmudic law says. So, so, so the Talmud says you don't do it this way. So it's a direct opposition to what the Pharisees are holding on to. He applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So we see that even among the Pharisees, there was a division. Some of the Pharisees were believing that this was indeed a demonstration of a Messianic miracle. Other Pharisees were saying, no, it cannot be, because he's violated the Sabbath day. Now remember, Jesus has already dealt with them with issues about the the Sabbath day and healings, we, we, we learned that a few weeks ago. He said to them that, that uh, uh, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath day in order to keep the law of Moses, that on the eighth day they were to circumcise a boy. So if a boy was eight days after his birth, they still circumcised him on the Sabbath day. So there were things that superseded the Sabbath commandment, like circumcision. He says, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath day. How is it that you come against me when I make a, a man whole on the Sabbath day? You see what I mean? So he, and he urged them to understand the spirit of the law. This is what he had been urging them to do. But no, they didn't want him healing on the Sabbath day. And they understand immediately that this is a repudiation by Jesus of the Talmud. Because he did exactly on the Sabbath day and exactly how he was not supposed to do it, he did it. 
even though he was repudiating this, that he still, some of the, the Pharisees could see that, no, this was indeed a Messianic miracle. But others said, no, our Talmud sticks. This man violated it. How could he be from God? So they, were, he said, how, they said, how could he be a sinner? How can a, 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 a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. We'll le- read later on in John how many, many among the Pharisees came to believe in Jesus. Many among the rulers came to believe in Jesus. We'll read about that. Now in verse 17. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. So the first question was, tell us how did he do it? Tell us how did he do it? He says, well, he applied clay to my eyes. I told me to go wash. I washed and I see. Okay, very simple. Now they're beginning to ask him a bit differently. They're saying, okay, what's your interpretation? What do you have to say about this man? Because they're divided. So they're going to ask this man, what do you have to say about him? He, says, he, said, uh, um, he said, he's a prophet. So this man did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah at this moment. He recognized that he must be a great man. There must be something prophetic here. But he had not yet recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, he is a prophet. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So if the Pharisees can establish that this man was not born blind, but became blind some later time in his life, then this is not a Messianic miracle and they don't have to deal with the issue. So what do they do? They call the man's parents because the man's parents could establish a testimony whether the man was born blind. In verse 19, and they question them saying, Is this your son who you say, was born blind. You see what I mean? Is this your son who you say was born blind? And, and uh, so you, you see them already trying to modify the situation here. Then how does he see? And his parents answered and said to them, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. All right, so they established that. So the, the deeper the Pharisees dig into changing the situation, the worse it gets for them. They bring the parents, the parents say, he is definitely our son, and he was definitely born blind. Then the other question to them is, how does he now see? In verse 21, but how does he see? We do not know who opened his eyes. We do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confesses him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So if anyone confessed him to be the Messiah, they would be put out of the synagogue. That is very different than being put out of a church today. If you get put out of a church today, you just go like 50 yards and you get into another church. And it's not a problem. And they're glad to have you. Being put out of the synagogue in that day meant you, you lost all social contact with Jewish people as it related to anything the Jewish people deal with. In the marketplace, they weren't to deal with you. They were to treat you as an outsider. And when you understand that so much of the fellowship 
goes around the Jewish community. They had their Shabbat meals together. They had their, their ceremonies together. So much of, of your life was around that community, that congregation, that, that community of the synagogue. So to be put out of the synagogue, this is an excommunication. To be put out was a huge thing. You couldn't, there were no other synagogues to go to. I mean, you were put out, you were branded. This is a huge thing. So they had already said, if anyone confesses him to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah, he'd be put out of the synagogue. So already there was persecution. So if you feel that, oh, you know, I, I wore a Christian t-shirt and somebody got offended by that, look at the persecution that I'm going through. Trust me, that is nothing compared to what people already were going through for testimony of Jesus Christ. And so, they had already been, this had already been proclaimed, so the parents said, well, we're not going there. As to who healed them and about him, ask him. He's of age. We weren't there. All we can establish is, he was born blind. This is our son, and he was born blind. That we will establish for you. You can see for yourself, he's not blind now, but we establish for you, that is our son, and he was born blind. <clears throat> Verse 23. For this, pre- for this reason his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So his parents didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. Verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. Now, what I just read to you is from the New American Standard. It says, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. That is exactly how it is written in the Greek. You're reading, many of you are reading the the NIV. The NIV is not a direct translation. The NIV is a paraphrase. And the NIV says something to the effect, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Something like that, right? That, by telling the truth, is not there. That was put in there by people who were translating your Bible to try to give it a greater context. But the Greek doesn't have that at all. It says, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. Now you know the Pharisees are getting really desperate. Because the Pharisees are known for holistic, logical thinking. And Orthodox Jews to this day are known for very logical thinking. They will logically think through things and their arguments are quite logical and you can engage with an Orthodox Jew and have a conversation and they will logically, you show them from the Scriptures a logical pattern and they love it. They love it. And and when I go to Israel, I sit with with, uh, Orthodox Jews and, and they invite me into their home on Shabbat and we sit and we have conversations and they love it as we follow logical arguments from the Scriptures. They say, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. This is so awkward. That is like saying, praise the Lord, we know this man is a sinner. We don't praise God for negative things. In other words, praise the Lord, that man beat his wife. Praise the Lord, that woman is an adulteress. We don't praise God for things that are not good. They're saying, give glory to God, praise God, we know this man is a sinner. It makes no sense. It makes such no sense that the NIV translators stuck in that, <clears throat> that little portion that says, by telling the truth, to try to make sense out of this sentence. But by doing that, you lose <clears throat> the understanding of, of 
what a unique statement this was for the Pharisees who are becoming now really, really desperate. They're becoming really desperate now. They say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and he said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. So, look, they, they, they want this man to say that he is a sinner. Somehow that's going to strengthen their argument to have the guy who himself was healed to say that Jesus was a sinner. And this man says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. <clears throat> though I was blind, now I see. So whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. So the guy is being very honest. That's a really good answer. I have no idea whether he's a sinner. All I know is I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now remember, they've already been through this. So they're, they're effectively saying to him, okay, take it again from the top. How did this happen? That's effectively what they're saying. You see how desperate they are to try to get something that's going to strengthen their case. <clears throat> so at this point, the guy loses it. We don't know what his age is, but we do know he is adult because his parents said he is of age. And in Israel, adulthood didn't come at 18. Adulthood came at 20. So they always said from 20 years old and upwards. So we do know he's over 20. We don't know how much older than 20, but we do know he's older than 20. So, I don't know, maybe he's 25, maybe he's 23, maybe he's 30. I don't know how old he is. But at this point, he begins to lose it. He realizes they're, they're, they're just, they're just uh, uh, trying to manipulate this whole situation, and he, he just can't take it anymore. <clears throat> and he says in verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? Now, th this is really in your face. You know, the Pharisees are very important people. They run a lot of things. They control a lot of things. And this young guy just couldn't take it anymore. Now, this is a big day for him. It's really a big day for him. He has never seen, and all of a sudden, he is seeing. His whole life has been spent as a beggar. That's how people knew him. He was a beggar. And now he sees, and there's all this attention around him. So he's getting all of this attention. And now these Pharisees are just putting him through this, and the guy can't take it anymore. <clears throat> and you see him just saying, so you want to become his disciples? That's why you want to know so much about him? I mean, it's extremely sarcastic. And what you see now is the Pharisees answer him back in kind. It is... It, it is tantamount to, to uh, wising off to a New York City cop. I'm from New York City, and whatever they tell you to do, you just do it. Or else you're going to have a bad day. Just do what they tell you to do. And, and uh, uh, you don't talk back to them, you don't answer. Just, yes, officer, and you just do what they tell you to do. The Pharisees were the same way, and, and he shouldn't have mouthed off to them. And they're going to answer him back very much in kind. Verse 28. They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And so, so this is how they answered him back. You know, they, 
you know, gave it right back to him. But the guy didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> He's just going to come back and give it to him back again. And so, so, um, so the man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Okay, so this young man is now giving religious instruction to the religious leaders. And they hate that. Religious leaders hate the uninitiated, the uneducated in religion to give them religious instruction. And I know this firsthand. My colleagues in the religion department at Rice are very concerned that I give religious instruction to young people and that young people come to me for religious instruction. Who is this chemistry professor to give religious instruction? As they've told me, I've never been trained. I've never been educated. My, my PhD is in chemistry and not in religion. What am I doing giving religious instruction? No, I mean, they have, they, they have a point there. They do have a point there. Why, why do you guys come to me? Just go, <laughs> go to the religion department. And, and uh, so he is now giving them religious instruction. Now, where did he learn this? Well, he learned from the Pharisees. This is what he had been taught. That nobody will be able to open your eyes. You were born blind. Only Messiah will be able to open your eyes. Nobody's going to be able to do this. From the beginning of time, there's no record of this. So he's just giving back to them what he had already learned. But they don't like to take back what they had taught. You know, nobody likes to have it thrown right back at them. So in verse 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sin, in sins. You, and are you teaching us? And so they put him out. They excommunicated him. He was put out of the synagogue for, for uh, th- this situation. So they answered him, you were born entirely in your sins. So remember what the disciples had asked Jesus when they saw, the, they saw this man, this blind beggar there. They said, who sinned? His parents or him in that he was born blind? And Jesus' reply was, in the beginning of John chapter 9, neither he nor his parents. In this case, it was to show forth the glory of God, and God healed him. And we discussed how that his parents had sinned, he was born blind. We can understand that from the scriptures because God said that he would visit the sins of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. If this does not put the fear of God in you as a parent, I don't know what will. He will visit, he will visit the sins of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. If this doesn't give you a spirit of repentance, I don't know what will. But he will show mercy to a thousand generations. So, when you do what is right, there's mercy extended to a thousand generations. But remember the other thing that the Pharisees taught that we had discussed is that a person, when they are in the womb, can act out of malice and kick their mother and then be guilty of sin and be born blind as a result. And they are accusing him of being the one that was the reason for his having been born blind. But what they do not realize in their saying this, 
is that they were, are confessing that he was indeed born blind. You see what I mean? They've absolutely cornered themselves now. You were born entirely in sins. You were born blind. Boom, there's the confession. The Pharisees themselves come up with the confession that he was born blind. They totally, in their anger, they trapped themselves. It is their testimony now that this man was born blind. This is what we have discerned. He was born blind. That's all they can say at this point because when they blurt out that, they're confessing now that he was born blind. And he says, and you're teaching us, remember what I told you? Those who are religious leaders hate to get religious instruction. You're teaching us? They hate it. And so they excommunicated him. They put him now out of the synagogue. So this guy is out. This is a huge thing. This guy goes from being a blind beggar to seeing and being the hit of the town to now being cast out. So Jews could no longer, his fellow Jews could no longer have contact with him. Talk about swings in a day. Have you ever had a high in a day and then a really low in a day? You wonder what's going on in my life? I mean, it's something great, so great happened and now I'm just, now it's just terrible. And, and uh, you know, that can happen. I mean, look at this man's day. So now in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Look at this. Jesus hears that the man has been excommunicated, that the man has been banished from fellowship with Israel. And what does Jesus do? It says, Jesus finds him. Now, remember, the man is not sitting in the synagogue. He's not allowed in the synagogue. He's not allowed in the temple compound. We don't know where he is. He's probably out under some tree, pouting. We don't know what's going on. But Jesus finds him. We so proudly, I found Jesus. Ah, uh, yeah, because he went and stood right in front of you, and that's how you found Jesus. All right? Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us. Jesus finds him. Jesus reaches out to him. That is what our Jesus does. Jesus finds this man who is excommunicated of all people, of all people. Who is he going to find? The one who was put out by the religious leaders. The one who was hurting. Jesus said, I'm busy right now. I've got to go find this one. Jesus hears that this man had been put out and he sought him out. This man isn't seeking Jesus out. Jesus finds him. Jesus seeks him. This is who our Jesus is. He seeks us out. In our pain, he seeks us out. This is what he does. We think we found Jesus because he's standing right in front of us. We think, oh, great me, I reached out to Jesus. Ah, well, his hand was extended to you. This is our Lord. We'll learn more about that next week. Let's pray.
Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You reach out. Thank You, Lord, for Your covering, for Your protection. Father, I pray for these young people that You would reassure them of Your love and of Your blessing. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. The grace of God be upon them. Your mercies and Your grace. Father, Abba, Father, protect them, I pray. Help them to see that You seek them out, especially in their times of loneliness and hurt, when all others have left them, that You are there, that You seek them out. Thank You, my Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen.